Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you? Well, I'm happy we're back in our sequence. Episode 58, Owning Our Attitude, was chocked full of helpful information about how our frame of mind has a huge impact on the quality of our life. Yes. Yes. In that episode, we said that the spirit in which we do something is as important as the act itself. You know, and we talked about that classic study from the University of Maryland where the subjects were working a paper and pencil puzzle, moving a cartoon mouse through a maze. And the little mouse was either pursuing delicious cheese or, or it was trying to outrun a predator owl. And the results were stunning because those little mice that were trying to outrun the owl did about 50% worse. And the results demonstrated overall that each of the approach or avoidance modes had a significant impact on creative problem solving. And don't we want to be creative in our lives? Oh, we certainly do. And this is so interesting to me. You know, all week I, I considered our question of which mode do I operate from? And I focused my attention on how I framed my various activities throughout the day. And sometimes I was the positive mouse racing for the cheese. And at other times, I was very aware of the fearful mouse inside of me. But I did manage to keep my spirits up. Well, isn't it interesting? You know, Anna, when we tune in to observe what's happening in the moment, say, say a little bit more about what you noticed. Well, are you sure you want to hear us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I noticed a lot, Dr. J. No, I, you know, I might be doing a task to my best ability, and yet sometimes there were some little grumblings around the edges. You know, in a few instances, it became apparent that the little grumblings weren't about the task. Sometimes they were left over from a previous interaction with someone or maybe some self-criticism in there somewhere. Um, the interesting part about this was that I had a great week, but there is always something that may happen that tries to steer you in a different direction. So I'm really happy and kind of proud of myself that I didn't let that happen. Oh, Anna, that's great. You know, and, and it really, it really aligns with what we're doing here. You know, we're practicing concentration and exploring how the obsessive nature of this autopilot thinking intrudes and really colors, you know, how we see ourselves, how we see others, the activities that we're involved in. Really, it, it intrudes in the world around us. Um, and I reminded of the, of the saying, you know, we don't see the world as it is but as we are. So we need to continue to zone in on this dynamic process, you know, really looking at the thoughts and our thinking to understand the fundamentals. I really love that saying, we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. I just love that. You know, I recall talking about this in our earlier conversations when you called it the ABCs of thinking. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, We've mentioned that the thinking brain works with other more primitive networks, you know, and it's always trying its best to keep us safe by interpreting situations and kind of anticipating possibilities in the future, you know, creating context for our experiences. You know, all of it is based on events from the past, you know, memories and our beliefs. 
sounds like the brain is like a central processing unit trying to make sense of, out of what's happening in and around us. Well, true, Anna. You know, the whole process is what I very often think of as a wild ride. Uh, the mind is, is like a train that runs 24-7, and the mind is always at work behind the scenes, you know, supplying and processing information, you know, interpreting what we're experiencing. You know, so the mind always uses the opportunity to put its own spin on whatever is arising in the thoughts and the feelings and the body sensations. Well, you know, thoughts are spinning a mile a minute. It's hard to catch what's going on, but yet it, it can run the show and which often has dis- disastrous results. You know that, <laughs> Dr. Jane. I'm sure you've talked to many of us that have been through that. And I really understand why it's called the autopilot thinking. It's a continuous stream. Yes, for sure. You know, always going, always going. You know, this ongoing interpretation of the world is directly connected to how we're reacting and our reactivity. And although, as you said on it, it isn't something that we're generally aware of as coming from us. You know, we usually believe that something external, something out there is causing the reaction. You know, and this is the bottom line to what I refer to as the ABCs of thinking. You know, first we have the A, which is the activating event. And this can be, gosh, it can be a person, a place, event, you know, anything happening outside of myself. You know, it's always has really a neutral valence. You know, it's not a positive or a negative, kind of like watching a silent video or movie. You know, there's no meaning in and of it self. You know, and then we have B, which is the interpretation that we, our mind, gives to A. Um, and this is like providing subtitles to the, the situation or event. You know, we provide the interpretation, which is like writing a script or a screenplay. You know, the script is influenced by our life experiences. You know, things that happened in our families, at school, religion, maybe politics that we're involved in. You know, and we refer to this as our backstory. And lastly, we have C, which is our reaction. This is the mental, emotional, physical result, our consequence of however we interpret, remember that's the B, however we interpret that event or, or that person, place, thing that we're observing. And remember, you know, the body always believes and reacts to everything we think and feel. So this leads to action and behavior that is also part of that consequence. That's part of that C, you know, and and this has everything to do with how we assessed and interpreted the actual event. Hmm. Well, I love this, Dr. Jane, and it sounds so reasonable, yet I'm sure there's a hitch, right? Well, the the hitch is (laughs) that we often recognize uh, A, the acting event, and we recognize C, the resulting reactivity, but we believe that we're reacting because of the event, when in reality, we're reacting due to our interpretation of the event or the situation, which in turn leads to the consequence, the emotional reactivity. We miss the B. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's easy to blame something outside of ourselves. You know, example, he made me mad or she hurt my feelings. Um, you know, then you have the example of an event that you know, of an event that would be like, I'm in the holiday spirit, that sort of thing, right? 
Yes, yes. You know, and you're making a good point, Anna. You know, we so often project the cause of our reactions, both positive and negative, outside of ourselves. You know, and as your examples illustrate, our language tends to highlight this. Something out there, not inside me, is responsible for the way I'm feeling and the way I'm behaving. So on our quest to be our best and highest selves, this point of awareness feels very important. Actually, on it's an imperative. You know, we, we have to recognize and take responsibility for the prompts within us, the thoughts, the feelings. You know, these are our lenses onto the world that, that are really fed by the backstory. And if, if we investigated, you know, we'd find our emotional reactivity is merely a collection of symptoms of stress, you know, symptoms of our interpretation, you know, and, and not, not actually true, at least not always, you know, and I don't want to diminish the fact that sometimes our evaluation of a situation, you know, it may very well be accurate. You know, the key is our ability to discern what's happening as it's happening and to be able to acknowledge, you know, what's contributing to, to my interpretation, what's going on here. So to start the inquiry, we want to ask what's driving or fueling our interpretation or our assessment, you know, and, and really looking closely at is the information true or is it some kind of a, almost like a rumor created by maybe a combination of our current emotional state or maybe our backstory is at play. You know, we need to be open to the response of what's happening as maybe, hmm, maybe not. Hmm. And, and really allowing ourselves to kind of deliberate over it. Hmm. Dr. Jane, it's becoming clear to me that without this awareness, we will continue with the same thought feeling process and keep enacting in our daily lives, you know, and, and then continue to get what we hope to change um, feels like a hamster on a treadmill, Tread, treadmill, listen to me, treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you're, you're on it, Anna, you know, yes, you know, without becoming aware of what's happening in the ABCs of our thinking, we are likely to continue to make excuses. We are likely to, to project blame onto others. For not having the life we want, you know, and, and as we experience increased stress in our lives, and quite frankly, who doesn't, you know, we believe even more strongly in our old outdated patterns. So this is the time and this is really presents an opportunity to get up close and personal with our autopilot thinking and see more clearly what exactly is going on. Yes. And, and, you know, we can, I think most of us can feel that resistance, you know, like we don't want it to be our fault. Well, I, I'm with you, I, you know, and, and let's be clear here. We're not looking to blame ourselves for everything that goes wrong in our lives, you know, and, and we're not on a witch hunt here. You know, we're exploring the thoughts stream. You know, we really want to get close to our patterns of thinking. It's the patterns that count. Noticing how they're impacted by stress and worry. And quite frankly, at this point of our, our, in our quest for our best and highest selves, you know, the best version of ourselves, we want to learn what makes us tick by learning to be aware of our thought patterns. You know, and this allows us to discern what's true 
and what's contributing to our choices in our daily life. You know, we want to recognize the warning signs of reactivity before we spiral into a crisis or, or a dead end and can't find our way out. So, you know, we're heading the reactivity off at the pass, right? And then we see it coming and in the present moment, we can divert it. Well, that's it. That's it. You know, this is the moment, the present moment, when we can choose to step off the runaway train and move back from the tracks just far enough so that we can take in what's happening in our thought stream, yet avoid becoming embroiled in it. You know, in this simple process, we can create the space to make a conscious choice rather than react in the old, you know, outdated, automatic way. You know, the steps are simple. You know, they're not necessarily easy because we're up against years, sometimes decades of conditioned thinking patterns and reactivity uh, patterns, but they're available to us. Well, I find relief knowing that there's a way off that crazy train. (laughs) Me too, Anna. Me too. It's good. It's good. So let's review the practice that supports us increasing our awareness of this process of of recognizing the autopilot thinking without being pulled into it. You know, first we want to engage the body-mind to observe what's happening in the moment. And we start with the practice that we've, we've been covering, you know, and that we've included, which is called the welcoming breath. You know, we're sensing the in-breath and the out-breath, settling into the breath and our body's response to it. And then from the welcoming breath, we open up and move into the breath and body practice, you know, because we want to enhance our ability to sense what's occurring, sense physically as well, what's occurring as it's happening through both thoughts and also body signals. You know, we might identify when things are moving into a negative or maybe self-defeating kind of a territory, or the thought stream may have no particular pull in the moment, might be kind of neutral. And from here, we want to move into what I very often think of as the prelude for watching our thoughts. You know, we're going to listen to sounds. And this is a practice where we're focusing on the sounds as they occur. We refer to this as a sounds thought practice. I find it fascinating that this combination is the lead into getting up close to our autopilot thinking. Well, it's fascinating, Anna. You know, think about it. We're already immersed in a soundscape, you know, in our environment. Environment. You know, things that are, that are happening, sometimes um, we don't even notice it, but we're constantly being bombarded with various noise. As I say, some might be a little, you know, undetectable. Others, uh, noises may be very intrusive, some pleasant, maybe some sweet, entertaining um, some clearly recognizable, and then there are others that it's like, what is that? Um, and most noise tends to arise beyond our control in the environment. That's just kind of the way it is. And even, even silence, you know, can, can have a barely perceptible noise to it. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. So sounds really mimic the thought stream of autopilot thinking. So let's, let's take a closer look and just compare autopilot thinking with sounds. You know, like the sounds, we're immersed in it. 
you know, we're constantly bombarded by our thoughts. You know, some tend to be less distinct, maybe barely perceptible. You know, I often think of it kind of like a radio in the back that background that's turned down way, way low. You can barely hear it. And then there are other thoughts that are extremely distracting and intrusive. And again, like sounds, there are thoughts that can be sweet, sweet memories or, or things that are entertaining. You know, it's always fluctuating, never ceasing. You know, we're even thinking in our dream, dream life. So most thoughts arise spontaneously, very often like thoughts, seemingly from nowhere, like, like sounds. Um, we're really not in control of what shows up very often with our thoughts, as with sounds. And we only have control regarding what we do next. Amazing parallels, you know. So we move into the sound and thoughts practice, which, by the way, is included in our Conversations for the Good YouTube videos and is called Observing Our Thoughts. So I hope everyone has an opportunity to take a look at that. Yes, thanks, Anna. You know, so we've allowed ourselves to turn our attention to our breath. We're really, really moving with the rhythm of the in-breath and out-breath, sensations of the body. And now we open ourselves to receiving, and this is the important piece, receiving the sounds in the environment, allowing the sounds to come to us, you know, and noticing the sounds, the quality of the sounds, you know, the volume, the tones, the pitch, uh, pitch, the duration, you know, also noticing how they seemingly appear, appear out of nowhere and sometimes dissolve all by themselves. Well, I was just sitting here thinking about that, Dr. Jane. We're already in a quiet space, having moved into our breath and body sensations, and now including another dimension. You use the words allowing and opening to the sounds. I'm assuming that we're not chasing down the sounds, but letting the sounds come to our attention. Oh, Anna, that's a good clarification. You know, yes, we're allowing ourselves to have a direct experience with the sounds as they show up. We're not making anything happen here, you know, and we may find that, that we judge certain sounds or, <laughs> or have a clear preference or maybe even a disdain for certain sounds. You know, and if judgment occurs, we acknowledge it and we move back into receiving the sounds as they arise, as they show up. So allowing the sounds to move across the landscape of our attention, not striving to make it different. Yes, yes. And then we let the sounds fade into the background and we move our attention to thoughts, thoughts that are arising. You know, and as with the sounds, we're not chasing after thoughts, but receiving them as they show up and then letting them go, letting them move on. You know, noticing how we may like some or maybe want to reject some thoughts. But like the sounds, some thoughts may feel loud and intrusive. Others may show up less distinct, you know, but nevertheless, they're in the background. You know, and we just let them move on. The analogy of the radio playing quietly in the background is such a good one, Dr. Jane. It's barely noticeable at the time, but still there being a nuisance and an influence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the other neat part of that particular radio analogy um, is that just like a radio playing in the background, Anna, it's just noise. 
You know, I, I don't have to believe everything it says. And thoughts are the same. And the purpose of the practice is to highlight that thoughts are things. They're merely mental events. They're just noise. We don't have to believe them. And when we finally realize this premise, it serves as a liberating moment. You know, we begin to see freedom in the space that we create. This is a space where new choices can be made, the conscious choices that we continue to talk about. Well, we're in the practice now, watching the thoughts, staying with their movement, just observing, correct? Yes, yes. And the final part of the practice is to observe all that's surfacing in our awareness, not trying to control or debate anything that shows up, letting all thoughts come and go. You know, we might even experiment with seeing our thoughts kind of as um, clouds moving across the sky of the mind. You know, there are different shapes and sizes and shades to the, the clouds, yet the sky, you know, or the mind is always the same. You know, and this is where we can see thoughts more clearly as mental events, not facts. You know, we might also notice, you know, if emotions are triggered with thoughts, you know, are we aware of stories being created that maybe want to pull us in? Um, and remember, too, Anna, you know, if it gets too hectic or we kind of go into a tailspin, we can always return to the breath and anchor ourselves in the in-breath and the out-breath before we go on. Okay, well, let's do a summary of the practice. Okay, so here's what we're doing when we're observing our thoughts. This is the practice. We start with a welcoming breath, focused on the uh, sensing the in-breath and the out-breath and our body's response to it. And then we move into a sensing of our body, the body sensations. It's kind of like a mini body scan. And once we settle into that, we want to receive sounds, just opening ourselves up to noticing sounds, the quality of sounds, and just giving ourselves a few moments, just a few moments to really be immersed in the soundscape. And then we let the sounds fade into the background. And we move our attention to the thought stream. Again, not chasing it down. Let it show up. Just noticing quality of thoughts. Observing the thoughts move across the sky of the mind without any attachment. And allowing ourselves to be open, really open to thoughts as mental events passing through. And we may notice feelings being triggered. Just allowing our experience to be just as it shows up. You know, not trying to interpret or control anything. And if the experience feels overwhelming, we anchor ourselves solely in the breath again. You know, and, and this would be a good practice for us to do daily for the next week, to really, really let it be ours. Well, this sounds wonderful. What other practices do we keep in the schedule? Well, one of my, fav- one of my favorites is the three-minute breathing space because it's such a perfect reconnect when we've disconnected from the awareness and, and we're lost in the grumbles, as you and I refer to them, you know, and to do the three-minute breathing space um, twice a day. And again, you know, using it in situations when it's truly needed. You know, Anna, I did this while I was standing in a long, long line the other morning and everyone around me 
was very perturbed and, and really justifiably frustrated. And so I started doing the three-minute breathing space, and my practice saved the day, really for me and also for that service person once I reached the counter, because I was chill. I was chill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can only imagine. And I have to tell you, I think the three-minute breathing space is by far my, my favorite practice. I use it all the time, several times a day. Uh, you right. know, it's, it's just so, it really does work, and it's so incredibly beneficial and, and helpful. Um, now, is there a question for the week? Well, given that this is a more involved practice, you know, I, I think that, that we're going to find that, that it might be more difficult to do it routinely. So the question that I want us to ask ourselves is, what are, my, what are the thoughts that may be justifying my excuses or reasons for not taking time to do this recommended practice? You know, what gets in the way? What are the barriers? And let's just see what shows up with this kind of exploratory question. Oh, boy, this should be interesting. <laughs> I hope so, Anna. <laughs> uh, also, I want to remind our listeners that observing our thoughts practice can be found on the Conversations for the Good YouTube channel. Thank you, Dr. Jane. Thank you, Anna. Until our next conversation. <laughs>